Okay, Lord, I just pray you would help just guide my words here this morning. I'm asking, Lord, that you would separate soul and spirit. Let your fire come forth now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. We just need to hear your word today. So use this weak vessel. I pray all distractions be lifted in Jesus' name. I pray for ears to hear. For these few minutes in front of us, eyes to see, ears to hear, God. Bless these precious people and all who are listening. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus is standing in front of Pilate in John 18. And Jesus says, if I wanted to, I could call a whole squadron of angels. And the Lord would send them like that. I could be delivered right now, fast. It wouldn't even be fair. But he says this phrase, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants, both spiritual and in the natural, would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. Look at this word, but now, but now my kingdom is from another place. And that's where we're living right now. We are now living in two different kingdoms. Naturally, we're living in the kingdom of this world that is being controlled by the little g God of this age. And we also are living in the kingdom of heaven spiritually, where we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Anybody feel the tug sometimes between the two kingdoms? I do. I've got a kingdom of darkness that surrounds me, and yet I've got a kingdom of light that I've been born into, born again into, that's spiritual. Can't see it, can't touch it with my eye. I can't touch it. It's not, it's not something that's, it's more ethereal than anything else, but it's real. I know it's real. And here we are caught between these two kingdoms. Now, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. We're right on the threshold, though, of Revelation eleven fifteen. Put that up there if you would. And it says, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become has now, right now, it has crashed in. The kingdom of heaven has crashed in to the kingdom of this world and it has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. We are so close. We're on the threshold of an unseen kingdom crashing in to a seen kingdom. Can you feel it, guys? You know what I'm saying? We're like right there. The curtain's just about to be pulled away. And all that is unseen will be seen. We are not going to go to heaven. There's no such word in scripture that says that. We don't go to heaven when we die. Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. Heaven comes where? To earth. And it's going to be a real, visceral, physical kingdom on earth. And it's just about to violently, horribly, terribly for some, and magnificently and beautifully for others, crash in. It's right on the doorstep, guys. 
we're caught right in between the now my kingdom is not here and the kingdom has become that loud seventh trumpet. Can you feel the fire of its approaching, guys? Can you feel the heat? Yeah? The darkness is getting darker, but the light is growing brighter. Why? Because the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here, yes, and the kingdom is coming. 100%. Get ready. My word today, this is all I want to say to you guys. Prepare your hearts, guys. Get ready. Because those who are poor in spirit now, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What, mean, what that means is the poor, those who don't come with anything, they come with childlike faith, they get the kingdom of heaven inside of them right now. And soon it will be outside of them, but right now they get it poured into their spirit, man, the poor in spirit. And the meek and the humble now, they will inherit the what? The meek will inherit the earth. And so you choose to be meek now. You choose to go low now. You're going to inherit heaven on earth. And I don't know what that inheritance looks like, but I promise you God's inheritance is a good one. I promise you it's better than anything you could ask or imagine. And so we have to think about the kingdom of heaven like a treasure hidden in a field. It's hidden. The kingdom of heaven is not something we can see with our eyes necessarily. But we know it's there. And so in our joy, we go and we do what? Sell everything that we have. Everything that's near and dear to us. Everything that we hold close. And we say, whatever it takes, I want that field. Because the treasure's in it. That's what Jesus did. But that's what we say. Whatever I need to do to get that Whatever I need to lay down that I might possess that, that's what I'm going to do. Nothing will hold me back. I must do it now. I must do it ASAP before there's no time left. Because our life is almost over. And if your life and my life is not almost over, Jesus is almost here. We're so close, guys. In your joy, go give up everything that's near and dear to you to go get that. It is not a sad thing to trade off something that will never rot, spoil, perish, or fade for that which will. It's not a sad moment. It's a glorious moment. So we're here in the now kingdom, but we cannot be of that kingdom. We have to be in tomorrow morning when you go to work, when you're around all kinds of people and all kinds of media You have to be in, but you cannot be of. And you've heard this a thousand times. We have to be salt, yes? And so salt, we have to get into the food, and we make it spicy, we make it flavorful, but that food can't get in the salt because it's ruined then. If it loses its its tastiness, its flavor, its saltiness, what good is it? If the world, if the kingdom of this world gets in you, then what good are you? You're no good for the Lord's army. You have to get the kingdom of heaven in you, and then you can go out and change the earth. So we are in but not of. What does that mean? We don't look like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't dress like the world. We don't act 
like the world. We don't play in darkness like the world does. We don't think the way the world thinks about retirement. We don't think the way the world thinks about this life being our only life. We think differently. We are peculiar people. We don't really care about what the world thinks of us. Reputation is not something we hold near and dear. But sometimes we do. But we're called to be separate, set apart, sanctified, and holy. And the Lord is calling his church in this hour to come out of Babylon. Can you imagine the Israelites thinking as the plagues were coming down, I wonder what my Egyptian neighbors think of me right now. I hope they're not offended about me putting this blood on my doorpost. I hope that they don't think I'm excluding them. We, we have got to get a, a, a divorce from our love affair with the world. It's time to break up with the world. And you know if you've dated in the past and you've had to break up, it's hard to do that. It's real hard to break up after you've made a commitment like that. It actually hurts way worse than if you had said no in the first place. But when you do that, the pain is worth it because you get set free from a damaging relationship. Guys, we have to break up with the world because the Lord is coming and he's, he's bringing his wrath on sons of disobedience. And we want no part of that. We want to stay away, yeah? We want, to, we want to completely separate ourselves. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't talk to worldly people. We love worldly people. We still interact with them, but we're not like them. We're different at the core. So I, for some reason, get a whole lot of prophetic revelation watching and reading about World War II battles. I don't know why, but I do. So... I'm watching a documentary with my kids yesterday, and I felt like the Lord just downloaded something. This word was in my heart already, and he just downloaded something I want to share with you for just a moment. Nazi Germany, at the beginning of the war, invades France. France surrenders immediately. No fighting. They were not willing to. Had they fought, by the way, things would have been different, but they chose not to. They they. They concluded they would not stand a chance, so they surrendered. Hitler sets up a puppet regime in France to do his bidding for him, and they signed the second armistice of campaign in June of 1940. And what that armistice said is that we will basically defend whatever lands that are ours from allied invasion. They, France told Germany this. And Germany says, great, that's awesome. You keep on doing what we want you to do. Well, in November of 1942, a couple years later, Operation Torch started. And that was the Allied movement through North Africa to drive the Germans away and to take control there of the Suez Canal. Well, France had agreed to defend the neutrality of French Morocco in northern northern Africa. So here, we've got a dilemma here, right? And so Winston Churchill and FDR said, look, France, you've got this entire naval fleet here, hundreds of ships. We cannot have that because Germany cannot have that. So you have to surrender those ships to us or 
we've got to blow them up. We've got to destroy them. We love you, France, but listen, you cannot keep these ships. Give them to us or we're going to destroy them because if the Germans get them, it's game over for us in the Suez Canal. We have to destroy this fleet. So Allied Allies send Operation Torch, this desert campaign. They sent a massive naval fleet of 102 ships, 35,000 soldiers, hundreds and thousands of tons of supplies to the port in Casablanca, northern Africa. And so they're hoping, the Allies are hoping and praying that the French will receive them as liberators. But it was complicated. You know why? Because France, when they first surrendered to Germany, lost two million of her soldiers to POW camps. Adolf Hitler had an ace in the hole with France, and he held two million of her sons hostage, and he used that as leverage. And so the Allies come, and they, and they, they pull up to the port of Casablanca, and they send a delegation of Allied leaders to this French ship, and for a whole day... They're negotiating back and forth about what they're going to do. And the Allied commanders are pleading with the French commanders, give up now. Surrender now. Do not make us do this. At 5.30, it's game over. The Germans are coming to reinforce you. We have to do this now. And France was caught between a rock and a hard place. They had surrendered previously, and now it was a very difficult situation. If we surrendered the allies, what if we lose all two million of our sons right now? And so they did not surrender. And so the allies reluctantly leave this ship, this delegation, and they turn their 15-inch guns on the entire French fleet, and they destroy them. They burn them all down. And 462 French soldiers were killed, 200 wounded, because their first surrender had made it more difficult for them to say yes to their second surrender. But there's redemption, and the allies say, now we've wiped out your fleet, we're going to go in and take over Casablanca. You have to surrender right now, or we'll wipe all of y'all out on shore. Surrender right now. And France said, no, we can't do that. So allies get ready to send landing troops in and completely destroy them. And literally, the last minute, November 11th, France surrenders. That same day, German U-boats pull in to North Africa to reinforce France. And the allies were able to fight them off. They surrendered. The allies land, they bring tons and hundreds and thousands of tons of supplies and gifts for the people of France to really bribe them, to win them over. Work with us, not against us, we're for you. France, their eyes are open, they're like, oh, they're for us. And they, at that point, there's a turning point in the war and France joins the allies and begins to fight with them. Their third surrender nearly didn't happen. And the Bible would say they escaped through the flames because their second surrender was so difficult and complicated because their first surrender they gave up and didn't fight. So the result was glorious, but it almost didn't happen. And the consequences were devastating in the middle of that. That did not have to happen. My question is to you, have you surrendered or are you being tempted to surrender 
to go with the God of this age. If you're being tempted right now, especially young ones, listen to me, youth, if you're being tempted right now, don't do it. No matter how much it's going to cost you, it's less than what you'd have to give up if you surrender the first time. Have you already surrendered? And now the Lord is appealing to you to come out of that relationship or come out of that addiction, get clean, confess it, or come out of that lifestyle. If so, I promise you it's worth it. What are your two million POWs right now that you hold near and dear? I'm pleading with you to count the cost and to give it all up to Jesus right now before the third surrender is required. He is coming with his host and his armies and he's going to ransack the planet, yes? And so we want to walk away right now. We want to sell everything we have right now and lose our life and submit to God's soon and coming invasion. We want to get out of the enemy ship. So 1 John Chapter 2 says it this way. Let's, let's go here if you would. We'll end in 1 John. Right near the end. Happy Mother's Day! Woo! All right. Probably not your typical Mother's Day message. It says it this way. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. Don't hold dear anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not or cannot be in them. For everything in the world, summed up as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Why do we not love the world in verse 15? Because it says down the row in verse 17, because it's almost gone. It's almost over. There is no security in Germany anymore. It's almost over. Get to the allied side, quick. Do not hold dear anything because it'll be like grasping air in your hands. It's, it's just going to dissipate super quick. The world's desires pass away like the world passes away. Give up those desires now, accept the desire of heaven, and watch what the Lord does in your heart. Keep yourself from being of the world. You know, James chapter 1 says, true religion or true spirituality is this, keeping yourself from becoming polluted by the world. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Care of orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep yourself, to guard yourself, be careful little eyes what you see, little ears what you hear, from becoming polluted, as if there's this beautiful environmental landscape, and someone comes in and dumps sludge and poison all over the ground. That's the vision we have to think of. Made clean by the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we watch that crap, and it pollutes our, our heart. That's what it is, right? Lizzie and I usually look on Plugged In to review movies before we go. I said this last night. Usually look at reviews, well, we're in Wichita, whatever happens, we don't look at a review. We're like, let's watch the new Batman movie. 
PG-13, whatever. Let's go watch it. And I watched it, and I felt assaulted in my spirit, man, by the darkness. And I was discussing it with Sam afterwards. He said, hey, what did you think of that Batman movie, Jonathan? And I said, well, besides the foul language and the prostitution, homosexuality, the Lord's name in vain, the murder, and the deep spiritual darkness, it was a pretty entertaining movie. So what I did was I sacrificed two hours of my precious soul life for a little bit of entertainment. It was kind of an entertaining movie. But what I did was I opened the door to that darkness in my heart, and it messed with me. Just that, ah, you guys have done that before, right? What are you allowing in the lamp of your body? Because everything, everything we see affects us. Everything. What are you allowing into your ears? Everything you hear affects you, church. What type of darkness are you playing with? Because you've got liberty to do it. There's a fine line between liberty and license to sin. There's a fine line there, church. And I'm pleading with you in this last hour, we're going to talk about this next week. It's not time to mess around with the darkness. It's time to get it out. Now, I'm not requiring self-discipline. The Lord's not saying, do better. The Lord's like, call upon my name. The self-discipline and self-control of the Holy Spirit is enough for you here. But what is it that's got your heart right now that you don't want to let go of? The Lord is after that thing, church. I want to plead with you to let it go. Take one page left and I'll finish here. 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in, in the darkness, or live in the darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies, this is present tense, this is not purified past tense, this is right now, purifies us from all sin. The theme of 1 John is God is light, and God is love. The gospel that John wrote told us how to receive eternal life, believing into Jesus. The epistle that John wrote tells us how to enjoy that eternal life right now by fellowship and abiding. And then the revelation, the apocalypse that John wrote in the book of Revelation told us how eternal life culminates and how it's revealed and undone. I highly recommend reading 1 John this week to you guys. I highly recommend it. He's, this is the beloved disciple. And he's saying, if you want to walk in fellowship with the Lord, you have to do it in light and love. Now listen to me real quick. I'll finish with this. What he's saying here is what is required for fellowship with God is living in the light. You gotta stay there. You have to stay confessed. You have to stay you know, pure of heart. And when you don't, you confess that. You get back into the light with God. If you're not walking in the light, 
then that means you cannot have fellowship with one another. Because that's the second step. Relationship with God, fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. Meaning, if I don't have fellowship with my brother or sister because I'm offended at them, now there comes a time when, when it's, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. There comes a time when they don't want to have fellowship with you. But when it depends on you, and when you have unforgiveness or anger or bitterness in your heart, that means that you're not living in the light. And that means that you're not fellowshipping with the Lord, according to this passage here. Thirdly, what it says here is that we're not living in the active cleansing work of the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sins right now. Now, has the blood of Jesus cleansed me from all sin? Yes or no? Yes, it has, once and for all. Do I still need his cleansing as he washed Peter's feet? I don't need to wash your whole body. I need to wash your feet because of the muck and the mire of this earth. Yeah, absolutely I do. It's a, it says it right after that. If we claim to be without sin, we're liars. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So what he's saying is we still got to deal with the sin and confession part of daily life. That can only happen, present tense, in the light. The cleansing of our sins on a daily, regular basis only happens in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And that can only happen if we walk in the light of fellowship with the Lord. I'm pleading with you guys as I end with this to stay in the light. Do not let the world get in your heart. Do not become of the world because your eye must look to him. We set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, yes? And we cast off everything that is coming against us, every sin that entangles us. We want to give him our whole heart. Next week, it's my intention to, to talk more about this in detail, have multiple of us talk about this, but I want to encourage you this week to pray and to ask the Lord, even right now, let's just pause for a moment. I just want to ask Holy Spirit that you would speak into our hearts. What little compromises are you after right now, God? And to those who are listening right now, what compromises are you after in their hearts? What little pockets of darkness are we keeping concealed that you want to expose? Let's just listen to the Lord for just a moment. One of the troublesome parts about this passage, as in so many other passages in the scripture for me, is all of these good things promised are predicated by a two-letter word at the beginning that says, if. If you want to walk in fellowship with God, you must do it in the light. So Lord, we want to ask for a response now. I want to encourage you guys to rend your hearts and not your garments. And to lay everything down that the Lord has his finger on now. Just give it all up to him. Let it all go that you might obtain that treasure, the kingdom of heaven, more fully manifesting itself inside of you. Lord, I'm asking for resolve. I'm asking for simple and quick obedience for us all, God. I'm asking that we would walk in the light.